Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now on this podcast, we talk about talking to kids every single week, and we've been doing it for several years now. So I guess I'm preaching to the choir when I say how important it is to do it, even when it's challenging, even when we really wish we didn't have to. One extra challenging time is to try to engage children in important discussions during those tween years. I know this both professionally and personally, given that my children are now 12 and 11 years old. A double whammy tween spectacular. Yes, trying to convince a middle schooler to listen to you can be exasperating at times. I know this for sure. So it's not surprising that some parents simply feel that the best option is not to talk. But keeping kids safe informed and prepared makes conversations necessary, especially during those tween years. Now, before we get to my next fabulous guest, who will be talking to us about a host of wonderful and I guess sometimes cringeworthy topics, I want to announce two things. First, I want to thank you all who have been listening over the years as we are nearing 950,000 downloads and on our way to a million for how to talk to kids about anything. And I I'm just so appreciative of your amazing reviews on iTunes. It makes an enormous difference. Thank you so much for those five-star reviews. I so appreciate it. They're heartfelt. They're kind. I read every single one of them. You are amazing. Second, my book currently entitled How to Talk to Kids About Anything is coming along and will be published in 2022 by Sourcebooks. I've already written the chapters on talking to kids about mistakes and failure, talking to kids about sex, talking to kids about death and porn. And right now I'm writing about talking to kids about big feelings and coping. With your loyalty and support, I'm putting my head down and writing because I know you've been waiting for it and you've been asking for it. So thank you so much once again. I'll keep you posted on what's going on from week to week since so many of you have been asking and I just adore you all. Thank you for your interest. Now for today, we will be focusing on tweens, what to do, what definitely not to do, and how to use the brief model, B-R-I-E-F. Now, that is B for begin peacefully, R for relate to your child, I for interview to collect information, E for echo what you're hearing, and F for giving feedback. And that's from my friend and colleague, Michelle Icard, who's been with us before. Um, We've talked to her about handling a different aspect of middle schoolers and helping them thrive. Michelle Icard is a member of the Today Show parenting team and NBC News Learn, the author of Middle School Makeover. That's what we interviewed her on. Her work has been featured in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, the Christian Science Monitor, Red Book, Time and People. Her leadership curriculum for middle schoolers, Athena's Path and Heroes Pursuit, have been implemented at schools across the U.S. And her summer camp curriculum is offered at more than 20 camps each summer. She has written a new book called 14 Talks by age 14, where she explored some essential conversations that we need to have with our tweens before they enter high school, which we will be discussing today. She also has an online companion course that goes with the book at michelleicard.com, and she lives with her family in Charlotte, North Carolina, a fellow North Carolinian. Welcome, Michelle, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Howdy, neighbor. Welcome to North Carolina, and thank you for having me back on the show. I wish Charlotte was closer to Raleigh. I mean, you're, you're, you know, it's like you're my neighbor, but you're like quite far away. So, um, and I love Charlotte, but I may, it may say that a visit may have to happen at some point in the future, or maybe like meeting in the middle somewhere cool. 
yeah, I think we've got plenty of excuses that we can come up with to do a little travel. Beautiful areas. (laughs) So before we get into your brief model and sort of applying it to some of these key conversations that were about money and sexuality and technology and lying and reputations, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in tweens and the need to talk to them about certain topics before they get to high school? Yes. What gets me up in the morning? Other than the like dad joke of coffee, Mm -hmm. I would say, what gets me up in the morning? I love this work. Mm -hmm. I love helping people figure out how to have stronger relationships that are fun, that have depth to them and that are fulfilling and that allow you to not be dependent on the relationship, to be really happy in your own right and then have a really good thing going with the other person. I don't know why I'm particularly drawn to that. I have been my whole life. Mm. Um, And so that's really what fuels me is figuring out ways to find solutions to this part of our life that I think is really just sort of, um, it's not concrete. <laughs> so it's hard to figure out. And that's a fun puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yes, excellent. I, I'm so appreciative of the work that you do. Because the you know, the tween years are tough. Um, we feel like the kids are, are sort of there, but sort of pulling away. We feel a lot of animosity at times and frustration, but they're really neat and cool and becoming their own, really their own selves during that time. Now, in your book, you talk about nine ways to improve your conversations with tweens, such as shifting from being a manager in our children's lives to being assistant manager, using Botox brow, which we talked about in the past, which I loved, avoiding the ambush and a appearing disinterested and designating a a proxy. So can you talk about maybe three of these and how they can help us have successful conversations with tweens? Absolutely. So let's do the greatest hit first. I know we did Botox brow before, but, but, but really quickly, in case someone didn't hear that interview or read the first book, I think it's probably the most important tip I have for how to communicate well with your tween or teen, and it has nothing to do with what you say and everything to do with how you look when you say it. Mm. So um, the gist of this tip is that kids in adolescence, their brains we know are rewiring and reconfiguring to be able to do great things. And while that's happening, their ability to read facial expressions is severely compromised. The part of the brain that they use to read facial expressions is going some undergoing some really big changes and they they don't rely on that that's the prefrontal cortex and instead they really rely on the amygdala to read facial expressions we know this from research and and studies where kids and adults were put through mris and asked to look at photos of people's faces and say what is this person feeling just by looking at them because we know that we can understand why when a kid looks at a at an adult and the adult has a scrunched up forehead, you know, sort of a wrinkled brow Mm -hmm. in any form, the kid might assume that the parent is angry even when they're not. This happens constantly in my house. Like, honestly, my daughter always thinks my husband is is angry um, when she says something and it does create a big reaction. You're absolutely right. It really does. So my tip here is to pretend you have been overly Botoxed, you're a celebrity on a late night talk show, and you cannot move your forehead when you talk to your kid. (laughs) Having a really neutral expression opens your kid up to you and invites more conversation. And and as you just mentioned, uh, not doing it can be a real conversation stopper. Yes, exactly. And and so I I know I I mentioned this to a friend of mine who has got a very expressive forehead. (laughs) And she was like holding her forehead. She's like, I think I'll just walk around like this. I'm just going to hold my hand in front of my forehead and and I'll talk this way because, you know, sometimes it's you don't even realize like what's going on in your face sometimes. And you actually have to think about it. Like, what is my face saying right now? That's right. This is one that takes a lot of practice. And I think I held my forehead, too, Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Um, But over time, you get used to it. And the other thing you can do is just tell your kid what you're thinking. So if they react like you're angry, you can clarify. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you make the mistake, it's easy to correct. Okay. And then what about this whole idea of the assistant manager that you talk about? This is a really big paradigm shift for parents of kids this age. Essentially, as the parent of a younger child, you have made all the decisions 
regarding their identity up to that point. And what I mean by that is they're just sort of categories of things that kids in early adolescence want to take on for themselves that, that moms or dads or caretakers have largely done. I- example, kids want to start figuring out what their style is, mm-hmm. whereas you may have just bought the clothes and put them in the closet before. Absolutely. They want to they decide who their friends are. You know, who, do, who are they going to hang out with? Whereas before you scheduled the play dates because they, there was a parent you wanted to talk to mm-hmm. or it worked with your schedule or, you know, whatever it may be. So kids really need to begin to take some ownership over these decisions regarding who they are and how they present to the world and what they think and believe. So what I ask parents to do is to remember the worst manager they ever had and to list out some of the qualities that made that person a bad manager. Uh, Often I hear things like, oh, they were um, intrusive of my time, they didn't respect my work-life balance, they were a bad communicator, they were overly emotional. If you come up with that list and then you flip that around, you've got a really good job description for yourself for how to become the assistant manager as opposed to the micromanager Mm. of your tween. Okay. And and really helping your yourself realize that if if you felt like a manager was overly controlling, then you're asking yourself, how can I make sure that I'm stepping back and allowing my child to take ownership of his or her choices and then putting myself in a supportive role. So then what does that role look like? What What would you say is the sort of supporting role then that you would take when it comes to some of those things that you used to be doing all the time, the clothes, the, the friends and everything? What would be an example of taking a supporting role in those? Right. Well, I think you distilled that perfectly. Um, and so examples, what that would sound like would be, um, you know, how can I support you in this? Do you need help figuring this out? Mm. We're so used to being omniscient when it comes to our kids. We've been there, done that. We know better. We have wisdom. We have experience. But kids this age have to begin practicing making decisions for themselves or they don't earn the same experience that we have. So it's really um, heavily rooted in curiosity and asking questions instead of trying to fix things. Right. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that it, it gives us a good example of, of what we're, we're going to be doing. And then when our child makes a choice, they have ownership of it, they wind up with the positive consequence or the negative consequence, and then they're able to learn from it instead of it being us learning constantly from the choices that we're making for them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that we wish for our children that they would feel no pain, that they would feel no guilt, um, that they would walk through adolescence unscathed. And it's a tender wish and it's a sweet wish, but it's it's not a wish that's really in service to our kids' growth and development. It it is important for kids to feel bad sometimes because it's you know the the old school analogy of touching a hot stove, you know. Mm-hmm unless you understand how things make you feel both good and bad, it's hard to develop the internal internal barometer for making good choices and having a strong moral compass. So we need to allow kids to have a full range of experiences through adolescence, even if it's sometimes painful. Absolutely. And it is hard. Now you set, you sort of set things up with your tween in a, in a, different way. You acknowledge that our relationship has changed or will change and you guide us to refrain from oversharing but sharing some things, um, avoiding underscoring here's the lesson in this and the teachable moment. So can you tell us about how to have a conversation with our tweens about our changing relationship and how this sets us up for success with them? Sure. I actually think this is one of the more fun conversations in the book. So there are 14 broad topics with little mini detailed um, scripts mm-hmm. underneath those broader topics. And and this is the first chapter where we get to sink our teeth into one of these topics, and it's the changing parent-child relationship. So what this one is about is, 
you know, your child, when they enter adolescence, they're sort of entering a storm of change, right? Mm -hmm. Changing body, changing brain, changing identity, changing social world, all of this stuff. And I think it's very kind and helpful to explain to them what these changes look like, how they might appear in their lives, and how you can be supportive to them during all of this. So mentioning to them just flat out, hey, even our relationship is going to change a little bit. And that's exciting because you're growing up, you're getting more independent, you're going to start doing more things on your own. I'm here as part of your team. I'm here to support you. I would love to talk to you about the things that are happening in your life. And it's my goal to be someone who you can come to when you need to. So that's kind of the baseline premise for that chapter. Mm -hmm. I love all of that. What do you say to the parent who feels like they're being shut out and that they would love to have that conversation and that relationship with their tween, but they feel like their child has clammed up and isn't really talking at all? What I would say to that parent is you and everybody else, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is totally normal. I know it's hard not to take it personally, but your child starting at around age 11 is beginning the process of individuation. They are separating from you so that they can figure out who they are as a complete and whole person on their own. And that process may take 10 or 15 years, but it has to start early because it's a long one. So when that happens, I often tell parents that it's the job of language to tie groups of people together, and it's the job of tweens and teens to break ties apart. Mm. That's what they need to do to grow up. So one of the first things that gets sacrificed is communication. They stop listening to you. They stop telling you stuff. They tell their friends everything, you know? Mm. They are highly interested in what influencers on YouTube think about a certain subject, not so much you. (laughs) Um, So what I would say is just please take comfort in the fact that this is developmentally appropriate um, and not take it too personally and know that there are some things you can do, some tweaks that will sort of serve as a bridge during this time and allow your kid to open up a little bit more than they might otherwise. So what would you say are some of these bridges that may open up conversation and communication and connection? Well, the biggest one is the brief model that I introduced and you talked about at the beginning of this episode. And and the reason that that one is so effective is that because kids are beginning this process of pulling away, uh, they become skeptical. They become naturally um, a little suspicious of you and your motive when you want to talk to them. And so many parents who I work with will jump to that final step, the F in brief for feedback, mm-hmm. and they'll think, gosh, I've got maybe 30 seconds. I need to tell my kids something before they walk out of the room or pick up the phone or dismiss me. And so they quickly go to advice giving phase. But kids this age, they need to feel that you are reestablishing a rapport with them. And that's what the first four steps of that model are all about. It's it's sort of reimagining the trust between you two and giving them some credit and some autonomy and some... um, an ante in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the biggest bridge is slowing down and going through that process on some conversations is a real, um, it's a, it's a great way of building that bridge together between the two of you. So let's give a scenario like you talk about cocooning that, that is happening or, you know, what, as you just mentioned, individuating where that child is, is breaking away. Let's say the child is constantly like in their room, opting out of doing things with the family. You're, you know, you're going to the, you know, something for the community and they don't want to come anymore. They're going in their room during movie night. They're not wanting to be part of things that they once were. Now you want to open up the conversation and connection. You feel shut out, of course. You feel hurt. You don't want to take it personally. Hard not to. But if we were using that brief model, how would we talk to our child about that isolating versus balancing time with the family? It's a great question. So first I would want parents to understand that that isolation is a really great way for a kid to begin to grow up. So it, again, it feels like a rejection, but it is a wonderful way for your kid to 
cocoon, go into their room and think about all of the changes they are undergoing um, in a really safe way. I mean, they're still home with you, so mm-hmm. they're not making terrible mistakes. So knowing that, I would say don't feel that there's any rush to talk about this. So the B here might be scheduling a time to talk. So you begin peacefully by saying, hey, um, looks like you're heading up to your room tonight. I love that you love your room. I'm so happy that you have that space. Um, I'd love to chat with you sometime about just family stuff in general. So would you like to talk maybe tonight before bed or do you want to do that tomorrow? Mm-hmm. So that's a chill way to begin peacefully. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go to relate. So that could be something like, you know, have fun up there. Um, I used to love going to my room too. I totally get it. Just I'm on the same team. I'm not here to bust you. Uh, the I say it happens later that night or the next day is interview. So this is where you get to ask some questions. What do you love doing in here? Take me on a tour of your room. I haven't even been in here in a while. Have you made any changes? What's your favorite part? What do you wish you could change? Just a casual way of sort of building rapport with your kid. Mm. E is echo what you hear. And that's really anybody who's been to a therapist or seen one on TV knows how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, it sounds like you really love this, but it's kind of a drag that you've had the same paint color since you were a baby. I get that. Maybe we could talk about that sometime, you know. So that's echoing what you hear. And then the F is feedback. So this is where instead of when your kid wanted to quit family movie time and go upstairs, instead of saying, hey, we <laughs> come back down here. We love you and we miss you. And it's important that you're part of the family have a seat. This is your chance here. F, you've established some rapport. You've given them a bit of breathing room. So you might say, you know what? I really get it. This is a great room. I'm glad you get to spend this time in here, like I said before. And also, We love you and we love having time with you. So is there a compromise we can come to where you still get a ton of time in your room, but also you're an important part of this family and we value you. We get that time with you too. And then work together and come up with something. Maybe it's you get to bow out of every other movie night or, you know, something like that. Some kind of a compromise that gives them the feeling of independence while still understanding that they are an important part of your family. Of course, like all these things are rushing to my head right now because I'm just right here in that stage of life and having a conversation with my daughter the other day where, you know, she's going into the back seat of my car, not the front seat of my car to do her homework and, and whatever while I'm driving her to her circus class where she does silks. And it's like a half an hour and I'm like, I really wish that she was sitting next to me and that we were like able to have this conversation. And there have been times where I've mentioned to her, I'm like, oh, I really wish you'd sit in the front seat with me. I I would love to connect with you and talk with you. And she'll be like, oh, maybe I'll do it next time or whatever. And I'm thinking I skipped all the steps. (laughs) I skipped skipped every step and I went straight to F. So I'm going to try that again. Yeah, she probably feels like she's cocooning in your back seat. Yes. It's it's a mini apartment for her. She loves she it back there. She can spread all of her supplies mm-hmm. out, you know. Yeah, she does. She said she loves it back there and she feels like she can concentrate better when she's back there alone and I get that. And obviously when you're doing your homework, like who wants somebody next to you? Like it makes complete sense. It's just like, you know, you have these iconic movies in your head and your book you read about these people like, oh, you might remember the best time to connect with your child is in the car. Oh, and then yeah. they're sitting side by side and not in front of your face. And I know like, oh, <laughs> I totally get it. But, you know, I'm a big believer in dangling carrots. So I, I would use that and I would say something like, I love that you are focused on your homework. Give her some compliments. You know, I love that you're so dedicated to getting it done and that the backseat works for you and it's comfy. And also I miss having time to just chat with you. So if the car isn't going to be it, what could it be? Mm-hmm. Could you and I go for a walk? Could it, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's probably what I would I would dangle a little like, I'm happy to give you the backseat. We can keep that. Mm-hmm. But what am I getting in return mm-hmm. here? Yes, you know? it's a really good point. And and just to, you know, highlight this for everybody's listening in. Yeah, I'm a child development specialist. But when I'm a mom and all those feelings are like in my heart and rushing around my head and coursing through my body, like it's I'm in the same boat as everybody else. Like I, I feel the same hurt and frustration and wishes and love and, you know, emotion that everybody else does. So I need to hear all of this and, and I'm here. I'm here for all of this information, just like everybody else. And I imagine you've been in that same boat too, Michelle. Yes, Robin, I'm so glad that you said that because 
someone asked me recently in an interview whether the conversation crashers component of my book, which are all the things that parents say wrong (laughs) that end a conversation, whether I had done any of those. And I said, all of them. Are you kidding me? I mean, I I did one a week ago to my college age son when he was home for a few days. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. still doing them, having written the book about them. Mm So I think it's just about raising your own awareness of it. You don't, we're, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to get this right all the time. But the more you are aware and you think of it, then you might correct it half the time or a quarter of the time or who knows, but it's got to be better. That's an improvement, I say. Yeah. This is good. All right, let's talk about tween friendship. During the pandemic, I wrote an article for the New York Times as some of the relationships that my, my tween had were pretty unhealthy um, right before schools were closed and the pandemic was like exactly what we needed you know for her to get some perspective to kind of shift direction it just really worked in her favor and we had great conversation around it Uh, it it can be difficult for parents to stay quiet about tween friendships especially when they see their tweens changing who they're hanging out with or hanging out with people who they wish wish they wouldn't be hanging around with. You wrote that who your kid is friends with is their choice, not yours, which is painful for some of us to hear. So, (laughs) I mean, it's true. It's just painful. So how do we talk to kids about friendship during these tween years, especially when we see these changes and we think that the friends that our child is choosing might not be the best choices? Like, what do we avoid? What do we say? I'm with you on this one. This is this is one that we as parents get highly emotional about. And mm-hmm. I think part of it is because our own middle school experiences stick with us and they stay raw for right a long on. time. Mm-hmm. So we remember that pain and that embarrassment and that awkwardness. And we don't wish that for our kids. And it's hard, especially when a child is in a friendship with someone who we think treats them poorly because we think, oh gosh, now what? Are they going to have a marriage that is doomed because they never, you know, they started yes. letting people walk all over them when they were in seventh <laughs> grade? Um, the answer is no. The, this is a time of life when kids are figuring out what works for them. And the way we figure out what works for us, most of us, is by first figuring out what doesn't work for us. So I say this to parents who are worried about the way their kids study, how the wheels are falling off the cart in middle school. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, why can't my kid turn their work in? Why can't they get up on time for school? Why can't they be friends with people who treat them well? Mm -hmm. Parents have all of these big, very real concerns. But this is a time of trial and error and mostly error and error and error. So your kid is going to branch out and make new friends and they're gonna become friends with people who are jerks and they're gonna become friends with people who are wonderful and friends with people who don't care about them at all. Mm. And and your child may be that person in someone else's life. Um, and it's just a sort of a stew <laughs> of emotion and relationships and it's very tumultuous and it doesn't really last. Mm. It's just an important part of figuring out like, wow, yeah, that did make me feel bad when I had a friend who only wanted to be around me when things were going badly and didn't want to celebrate my little wins, you know, or who texted about me to other people and I found out about it, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So your your question was, how, what do you do? Mm-hmm. As a what do we do and what do we not do? Because, right. you know, it, it's very easy to shut those things down thinking that we're doing the right thing. And sometimes it's really not the right thing at all. That's very wise. Yes, I think... What we do is we ask questions. The idea is to get your kid to learn how to connect the dots between these things, not for you to just evaluate it, diagnose it, and come up with the prescription. So instead of saying, you know, I notice how this friend treats you, they treat you terribly, you can't hang out with them anymore. You gotta learn to not hang out with people like that. Instead of that, you might ask some questions. How do you feel when you're together? How do you feel when you're texting? Is there anything about this friendship that you just love? And are there things about this friendship that if you could wave a magic wand, you would fix? And don't sit in judgment and don't analyze, just simply listen. The act of your child saying these things out loud and kind of figuring it out on their own, it'll it'll take some time, but that's what works. Our approach of fixing things just sends kids underground and behind our backs, They but they really need to learn how to manage these situations on their own. So have empathy and be a great listening ear. Mm -hmm. What if it's 
something else about the friends, not necessarily how they treat your child, but maybe what they wear or what they look like that's, you know, triggering you um, because you, you don't want your child pegged or something for being a certain way. I'm thinking that the visual presentation can be very important to some parents. So what if you are, are sort of judging by the cover and you're concerned with your child then being judged by his or her cover? And, and how do you have a conversation about that? Or do you just get over yourself? I think you largely get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kids this age make a ton of mistakes and one of them is often fashion related. And so maybe they're, you know, in your mind, you think, gosh, that person's really dressing very sexy and mm-hmm. I'm a little uncomfortable with it. And I don't want my kid to do that. So there's nothing you can do about how another kid presents, right? Whether, whether you like their style or not, or their personal choices, not a thing you can do. Um, you could try to broach the conversation. How do people react? To, to, mm-hmm. to their dress, like, wow, they, they look older than they are. How, mm-hmm. how do people react to that? How do other adults react if you go to the mall together? Or how do other kids react? Um, so you could gently probe a little bit, but I think most parents are gonna come across their kids as being really judgmental if they do that. And then the kid will not feel comfortable coming to you and talking to you about the meatier substance of the friendship if they think you are really hung up on superficial things in their mind. Uh, so I think I would avoid anything to do with looks mm-hmm. or appearance or dress. And I think w- where I would probably get involved is if I knew the kid were engaging in behaviors that were really risky, that were of concern to me. So, you know, if my seventh grader were, had a new friend and that new friend I knew was drinking, not mm-hmm. just thinking they might be drinking, but if I knew, like, I talked to their parent and their parent said, yeah, they're grounded because they're drinking. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> then I think I would, I, uh, that's when you can step in because it's a real issue of safety. So you might say they are welcome to come over and hang out here at our house. But until I have a better feeling of what's happening in terms of your physical and mental health and safety, that's where it's going to be. That's where it's going to remain for mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I actually did have a conversation just like that with my daughter when we found out about uh, a friend who was talking about vaping. And, you know, and, and I really I asked questions and left it to her to kind of what do you what do you want to do about this situation? Do you want to talk to this person about it? Do you want to change your relationship in any way? If it's, is it making you feel uncomfortable what this person is saying? And, and my daughter said, you know, I think I just want to keep that friendship as something that happens in school, but not outside of school. And that I was like, oh, that seems like quite mature to just keep it there, right? So I was glad that I like left it to to her to make that choice for herself and just brought up the information. And what did you think about this? And what do you what did you think about you being told about this? Um, So that was interesting. What about tweens? We, We know that they have a lot of big feelings they can be explosive or they can be dormant and sort of seep out in covert ways and and they can be very hurtful obviously as well you discuss talking to your tween about 10 things that they can do when they're feeling cruddy and and how they can learn to cope when things go south so can you tell us how you can bring up this type of conversation when you you feel like the big feelings are either exploding out onto everybody in the house or they're they're sort of laying dormant but seeping out in all kinds of ways what kind of coping mechanisms might you recommend or talk about with your child knowing that parents are sitting there going my child is always on screens to self-soothe I'd love to come up with something else so what would you say to kind of talk about those big feelings and coping mechanisms This is one of my favorite tips, and um, it's one of my favorite because it worked well in my home. Mm. (laughs) So I have a lot of experience with this one. Um, I have a daughter who is now 20, but at um, when she was young, even mid-elementary school range, she had pretty severe anxiety, and and I know lots of listeners will relate to that. Um, And so what we did 
is we came up with something called a try this first list. And I asked her during a very calm, pleasant time, what are things that you like to do that just make you feel good? They're fun, they're enjoyable, they're calm. Let's come up with a list. And so she came up with 10 things. And for example, they might be, I like to watch puppy videos on YouTube. Me too. Or, like, yeah, me too, right? That's good. <laughs> good for the endorphins. Um, I like to bake. I like to go um, outside and shoot basketballs. I like to do whatever. So just 10 things. They don't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be, I like to do an hour of tough yoga. You know, <laughs> It can just be something simple that makes you feel pleasant. We wrote those down and she's a private person. So she made a poster and hung it behind her clothing in her closet. So it was just for her. And when she had those moments, when the anxiety was sort of spinning out of control and she wanted me to fix that feeling for her, which you can't do. Um, uh, she would come to me just sort of crying or upset or anxious. And I would say, okay, let's talk about how you're feeling, but let's do the try this first approach. Mm -hmm. Go pick one thing off your list, set a timer or I'll set a timer for 15 minutes, do that thing for 15 minutes, and then we'll talk. And nine times out of 10, it provided such a distraction that we could then have a meaningful and productive conversation afterward about how she felt or, you know, but it was a great way to teach her how to cope and how to self-soothe. And so it's been, you know, a part of our family toolbox for a really long time. What a neat way of of helping your child learn coping coping mechanisms and that the answer in many cases in their is in their own hands. You mentioned this idea of a distracting mechanism and we interviewed Janine Halloran who does a ton on coping mechanisms for all different age groups and that was one of the the main ways of of coping along with calming techniques physical techniques sensory techniques yes and this distracting idea just to help recalibrate and uh, be able to have your brain instead of ruminating on the thing that is really weighing on you it gives you a little bit of distance from it and then as as you mentioned, then that person is able to talk about it more um, willingly, but also with some more perspective. Is that what you would say? That's right. And sometimes even come back and say, "Never mind." Oh <laughs> wow! Now. Yeah, that yeah. would happen too, which is great. Yes. Oh, I think that is terrific, and it's great to be like you know, what are the mechanisms that work for you? Because what works for me may not be helpful for another person. And and understanding that maybe I do like to go for a walk or, you know, do something very physical where another person like wants to, you know, wrap themselves in a blanket and listen to music, you know, so yeah. it's got to work for them. And having 10, of course, also makes it so they have some choice because maybe they do like to do something physical at times. And other times, you know, they're, they're much more uh, somebody who's, you know, needs a distraction or something mental. So right. uh, really good. So what about I know this is probably on a lot of people's minds because they're talking about tweens. Let's talk about technology. You talk about how technology is, is like a scissor or a hammer. It's a tool that has benefits as well as drawbacks. So for those who are now first allowing their kids to have a phone or social media or use a tablet for texting during those middle school years, how would we start a conversation or continue a conversation since there's many of these that we need to have with our tweens um, when we're worried about what techno opens up, you know, how our child can become obsessed with an online world or friendship issues that might be created because of social media, porn exposure and other threats? How would you start the conversation now that we're allowing our children to start to navigate that world? This topic is one that is vast and deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you just mentioned so many things from, you know, video games to porn mm -hmm. to social stuff. So what I think we need to do as parents, first, what you mentioned about the tool, I think it's really important to wrap our brains around the good and the bad of technology. And when we're talking about any issue related to tech, if we just vilify it, our kids will tune us out. 
I think it's important to remember that tech can be fun. It can absolutely be useful. It can be of service. Um, it can be entertainment. So recognizing that as you begin any conversation, I think is is a real good way to keep the door open mm -hmm. as you continue to talk. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think whatever it is that parents, whether it's porn, whether it's playing video games, whether it's Instagram and concern about self-esteem, I think parents have to do some amount of pre-work before opening this conversation. So typically what I say is I want you to really drill down into what your biggest concerns or fears are here. So a lot of times as parents will say like, too much technology is bad mm -hmm. and that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's, it's so broad that it doesn't make sense to a kid mm -hmm. because again, it could be about any number of things. So think about specifically what your concerns are and then address those. Um, and so what, what I mean by that is if you're thinking, I kind of, my kid wants Instagram, they're begging to have it, but I'm worried if they get it, uh, A, they will become less social mm -hmm. with friends in real life. B, their grades will suffer because they'll always be online. C, they may start talking to a stranger. D, they may compare themselves physically to other people and feel bad self-esteem or develop an eating disorder. Go down your list, come up with that list, and have conversations about those things rather than just saying, you're not old enough. Mm. Right, because that's one of those things that can be a conversation crasher, right? Now all of a sudden we're all done talking about this. You're too young and they're, and that's the end. And yes, and they may be too young and they may not be ready for it. I'm certainly not saying you have to give it to your kid, mm -hmm. but what I am saying is they deserve some explanation mm -hmm. as to what, how the tool works, what works well about the tool, what's dangerous about the tool, and if they might be able to use the tool in the future, what skills do they need to be able to show you before they get access to that tool? Imagine that the tool is not Instagram, it's a stove. Mm -hmm. So you're probably not gonna let your seven-year-old cook dinner while you're outside talking to the neighbor, but you might let your 13-year-old do that. Mm -hmm. So what are the skills and that your 13-year-old would have that your seven-year-old wouldn't? Apply that same logic to technology and then you can have those conversations as a family. Mm, love it. All right, before we get to our top tip, I really loved your conversation like and what you were talking about with regard to accepting labels. And it's in your sexuality chapter. And this can be difficult for parents because we didn't really have all these labels or maybe we had some of them, but we didn't use them all. It just... Now kids are just talking so much more openly about being straight and gay and bisexual and pansexual and more. So some kids we know in the LGBTQ community grow up having successful lives. They feel supported and loved while others don't. And there's major consequences when they do not feel supported and actually feel vilified. So Let's go through a conversation when our child tells us that they're bisexual or pansexual or something else in that vein, or they're telling us a friend just divulged that information. How would you say we should or shouldn't respond? Well, I think the easiest thing to begin with is how not to respond. Mm -hmm. And what I hear parents say often, and it's not that they these are parents who may be very open-minded, mm -hmm. who, who may be like, I don't care if my kid is gay or bisexual or whatever, but they will still say, uh, you're too young to know, mm -hmm. or how could you know that so soon? Don't label you yourself, mm -hmm. you'll get stuck. And then what if you realize that, that you, know, you're, you were too young to know and it changes? That sends a message to your kid, whether you intend it to or not, that they can't come and talk to you about these things because you'll be dismissive of it. Mm. So rather than saying, ah, don't label it, why would you do that now, uh, which essentially sounds like keep it a secret, you know, <laughs> um, right. you might just ask some questions. You say, oh, okay, what's got you thinking about this? And um, thank you for telling me. And, you know, what is it important for me to know about this from your point of view? And is there anything I can do to be supportive? And leave it at that. Your child may, in fact, not understand the vocabulary, so let's make sure that they're using the right terms and that they understand it. Chances are they understand it better than you do, but I still think some kids 
might get it wrong. Um, but essentially, these are just kind of, I don't think there needs to be a huge conversation around this. I think it's just, you want to be careful not to step on the landmine of, of somehow triggering in your child that you don't think it's appropriate to talk about this at their age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you do that at that point, then they may not come to you in a year or two or three years when you would think that they are old enough, but now you've already put the kibosh on that conversation. So they're done talking to you about it. That's right. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. And as you said, that can have some really severe consequences So I think you want to be uh, extremely clear about you are the authority on your body. You are the authority on your feelings. And I'm just here to be your best support team member. Mm -hmm. Somebody had told me that their child uh, had come to them and and said that they were bisexual and then said that they were pansexual and and started asking about decorating their room with uh, flags that represent these different types of labels. And what would you say to that parent? Because that parent was very concerned, again, with the idea that, well, now if they're putting up, you know, things around their room, that only secures the label. And what if my child wants to change that label later on? How does that impact now that they've said it to the world or declared it in their space? I would say that kids are very flexible. I mean, to to another kid, if they saw the flags in the room on a Zoom and then later the flags were down and replaced by something else, they wouldn't probably think anything of it. It would be like, oh, you used to have um, uh, boy band posters up there <laughs> and now you have heavy metal posters. Okay. I What's going it. on with that? What's the big idea? <laughs> right, exactly. It, it would feel sort of the same. These are mm-hmm. all just pieces of kids like to, as they are figuring out their identity, put labels on things because this time of life is so tumultuous. Mm -hmm. Everything is changing up in the air all the time. And labels are a really neat way of making life feel organized when it is naturally very chaotic and disorganized. So of course you want to throw all of your favorite bands up in your room or your favorite, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever it is. TV shows right now for my twin. She wants Stranger Things and uh, anime and all kinds of things, all kinds of things up there. Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's a way of telegraphing to the world. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. I've made these choices and this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And if a pride flag does that for you, great. And if years later you decide, you know what? I don't need a pride flag hanging in my room. Instead, I want to have a, you know, keep calm and drink tea poster. (laughs) Great. That's fine too. That's quite, that's quite a flag right there. That's quite a poster. Okay. Give us your top tip. What do you want us to walk away with after listening to this podcast about conversations with tweens? I want parents to know that these conversations are about building rapport over a long period of time. They're not about knowing the perfect thing to say and having the perfect conversation. That will never happen. But you can have terrific, meaningful, quick, easy conversations with your kids if you just keep it up, keep practicing. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing? You know, I'm having a ton of fun on Instagram lately. So I think join me there if you're on Instagram. I really love to post a lot of free advice and tips and funny things. Um, and then if you're not there, head to my website, which is michelleeichard.com. Excellent. And I'm sure people will. This has been so educational and fun to talk to you. You have such great insight and strategies and scripting uh, for these tween years that so many people need, including me, of course, because I've got it going on right now, too. And sometimes it's just nice to know the kinds of things that we can say in some of these concerning times when we're like, I'm just not sure what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to stop communicating with my kid. I want them to open up. Even knowing that this time they may not talk right away um, and it may take time. It's not always easy, but it's great to have your information out there so that we can refer to it as needed um, along the way with these middle school years. So thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Robin. 
Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. Also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be going back and forth with Michelle Icard about all this stuff with these with this podcast what an incredible array of conversations that we've been talking about um some great strategies some great great scripting we want to go through all of that online with all of you i'll be creating some memes that uh depict some of the things that michelle said because i think we need to share it around so that people can talk about it themselves and and talk about it with their families and if you love this podcast like I did, I'd really hope you go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I can't tell you how much it means to me. It actually really changes the algorithm. I wish I didn't need all of them, but I'm going to tell you. Your five-star reviews mean a lot to me and get this information that Michelle has been talking about and all of our other guests have been talking about out into the world. And we want those strategies used and practiced at all of these different homes because it's helping kids. It's helping parents. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, You've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. I have no doubt you heard something today and you thought, oh, I'm going to file that away for the future. Or, oh, yeah, I did say that. I put my foot in it right there. And now I'm going to go back and try again. You can always try again. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting your conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.